Okay, thank you to everybody for tuning back in. We are resuming our shurim on tefillah. A couple of weeks ago, we left off by the Birchot Shachar, the morning blessings, and then we took a hiatus for Tisha B'Av, where we took a brief detour into the subject and the history of the keynote. Tonight, we're going to continue our topic of the Birchot Shachar, And our topic tonight is either the last three or some of the first three brachot, which are the brachot of Shalom Asani Goy, Shalom Asani Eved, and Shalom Asani Isha. So these three brachot that we're going to discuss tonight have various different names. They are sometimes called the blessings of status. Sometimes they're called the blessings of distinction. Sometimes they're called the blessings of, of uh, self-identity. And sometimes they're called the negative blessings because unlike, sorry, I might have somebody in the trying to join. Okay. Um, sometimes they're called the negative blessings because they're the only blessings which are in the negative tense. So um, tonight we're going to approach these as probably some of the most controversial and complicating of and complicated of the Berchot Shachar. As I began researching this, honestly, um, I was really overwhelmed because there's so much noise in the academic circles over the past 200 years about these brachos. When you pay attention to what they're doing in academia, um, there's a lot of um, a whole lot of noise and discontent and controversy and facts swirl together with theory because everybody wants to paint their own narrative of what exactly happened. People aren't comfortable with these brachos. These brachos are you know, can be a little bit offensive to non-Jews, converts, women. Um, I don't think there's any slaves anymore since the, the 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 decrees of Justinian. But you know, a lot of thinking Jews were were very disturbed by these brachos. How could we praise Hashem that no, you have not made me a guy or you have not made me a woman? Which which would it seem to insinuate that women are inferior or non-Jewish people are inferior to Jewish people? So. I'm glad that because I wasn't well last week, I had an extra week to really work on this. Since, honestly, with the extra time, I had a moment of clarity. And that was that there's so much noise, so much content, and so much has been written about these brachos. But if we could just return to the tools that we have to approach and study any prayer, then we'll come out with more, much better answers than if we just write our own narrative. And the 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 main idea I've been trying to push in the past couple of shurim is that if you're going to study a bracha, if you're going to study a prayer, you can't simply ask, why do we say this prayer? If you ask, why do we say this prayer? Then you're looking for a singular answer, a singular catalyst, one singular cause or idea that's responsible for why this prayer is in the liturgy. Let me let Sfian. Um, so if you do that, if you say, oh, why do we say this blessing? And, and you're always going to look for that one answer, that one justification, or that one historical cause. In order to really understand why, why a bracha survived into the sitter, you have to ask a more sophisticated question, which is, what are the motivations and what were the motivations for people to say this prayer and to continue saying this prayer long enough for it to remain in our sitter? When we 
ask these questions, the right questions, then this approach leaves the blame and it leaves the shame out of it and it leaves the politics aside. It allows us to criticize ourselves rather than criticizing others and to criticize this text honestly, academically, and look at it honestly, rather than to get into apologetics and to get into the all the crazy theologies that people will acrobatically throw into the actual facts about what happened. We have to understand the facts of this bracha, the source of this bracha, if we're going to really approach it maturely and mat approach it uh, theologically. So let's look at, let's begin with the facts and we're going to take this bracha piece by piece. I'm going to work with it mostly chronologically and then we're going to, um, and then we're going to discuss all the ideas a little bit later. So let's begin with the ancient period. So the most ancient source we have for this bracha is a Tesefta. A Tesefta is, is a collection, is, is one of the Braithot, the uh, outside teachings of the sages, which comes a little bit before the Mishnah. The Tosefta Merchot says as follows. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, Shalosh Brachot Tzarich Levarech B'chol Yom. A person has to say three blessings each day. Baruch Shalosh Asani Goy, Baruch Shalosh Asani Isha, Baruch Shalosh Asani Bor. Blessed that I'm not a, a Gentile, blessed, Blessed be that I'm not a woman, and blessed be that I am not a boar or an ignoramus or savage, a barbarian, so to speak. Goy, why not? As the Pasuk says in Yeshayahu, kol negdo. All the nations are like nothing towards God. Isha, why a woman? Because ain't isha chayevet misvot, because a woman is not obligated in as many misvot as a man, and a man has to be grateful that he got as many misvot as he did. Bor she'en yirechet, v'lo ama'aretz chasid. Um, and because, you know, a, a, a boar is both an ama'aretz and not yirechet, and therefore he doesn't have the status for a, uh, he doesn't have the same status as a normal person. And we are thankful to Hashem that we weren't created savages. Mashal lemahadavar domeh. So says the, uh, says the Braita, can we give, let's give a parable. Lemelech basar edam shamar labdo levashelo tavshil, hulo basalo tavshil miyamav. Right, you have a, a king who asks the servant to cook him a dish, and he is never ever cooked before. I'm not a cook, but he goes ahead and tries cooking anyway. He burns the he burns the stew, and the and his master gets very upset at him. To give him a clothing, and he he never sewed before. And the same is true with a boar. A boar cannot serve God properly if he doesn't have the knowledge, the skills that he needs to serve God. That is the uh, the the member of a Yehuda that in order to serve Hashem, um, you have to have a knowledge of how to do the mitzvot, and therefore we say shalom asani boar. Okay. And so what would indicate here, at least from the simple reading of the Tosefta, is that the Tosefta's focus is that a Jewish man is obligated in the commandments. That's at least what it would seem. And therefore, he has to be grateful that he was given all the commandments and that he knows that he was chosen as a Jew, given commandments, and that he is that he knows how to do them properly. That would seem to be what we're seeing here in the Tosefta. So in this version, also, which is quoted in the Yushalmi, very similarly, we have an attribution here where it says that this was said by Rabbi Yehuda. In the Bavli, most of the versions in the Bavli have Rabbi Meir. However, the Vatican version and one Paris version of the Bavli have Rabbi Yehuda. 
Um, and that's going to be important in us in a, in, a, in a few. So let's look at the next major source, which is the Gemara in Bavli. So we're talking a few hundred years later. We have, oh, I'm sorry, this is the Ushami. You'll see it's very similar to the, to the, to the, um, uh, to the, to the Sefta that we had above. Now let's look at the, let's look at the Bavli. This is the Gemara Menachot, Daf Mem Gimel Amad Bet. Now, up until now, I hope you could see the correct screen. Up until now, we've been looking at the Birchot HaShachar from a perspective of the Gemara and Brachot. But these Brachot, these three Brachot, Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Avet, Shlosani Isha, do not come from the Gemara and Brachot. They come from a completely separate Gemara in Menachot. So, uh, as, as strange as that is. The Gemara in Menachot is talking about the mitzvot of Tzitzit. Uh, how the mitzvah works, who's chayav, if men are chayav, if women are chayav, um, how the mitzvah works all day, is it certain times of the day? Essentially, uh, there's memra, there's there, there's there's a saying after saying about the mitzvot of tzitzit. Out of nowhere, because the Gemara seems to be listing a, a list of things that Remeir said, out of the blue, the Gemara says like this, I'm a Remeir, here on the bottom, Remeir Omer Chayav Adam Levarech Shalosh Brachot Bechol Yom. Not Tzarich Chayav, right? A person has to say these three blessings every day. Elohein, these are them. Shasani Yisrael, which is really a, a censorship. It's just say Shalosani Goy, Shalosani Isha, Shalosani Bor. Bar Yaakov. Um, I'm sorry, I should I should say that the middle of nowhere it, it says um, the first thing it says is Tani Harimeir Amar Chayav Adam Levarech Mei Brachot Bechol Yom. That's really the middle of nowhere thing. We discussed this previously that this could have been Mei Brach Mitzvot Bechol Yom, which would fit a lot better. Okay, now it brings from a mayor that he says you have to say these three brachos every day. Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Eved, Shlosani Bor. Now the Gemara brings us a story. Story time. Everyone loves story time. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov Shamei Lebrei. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov heard his son. He heard his son saying the brach of Shlosani Bor. Amar Lehi, he said to him, Kuli hai nami. Really, you have to go that far? Doesn't know explanation for what that question means, but he asks his son, Really, you have to go that far and say Shlosani Bor? Amar Lehi, he answered, he asked, asked his father, Vela mai So what should I, uh, what should I be a blessing? He answered, Shlosani Aved. So his son asked him, Hainu Isha. That's the same thing as an Isha because an Eved and an Isha have an equal amount of commandments in the mitzvot. So the Gemara answers, Eved ziltfei. I won't, I won't turn the page, but basically an Eved is more inferior. The Rabbeinu Gershom doesn't have the language of Eved ziltfei. He has the, the Gersav Eved zultfei, meaning that not that an Eved is more inferior, but is um, Eved Zult face, go ahead and say more, meaning say Bor, say Eved, say both of them, which is a very strange way of constructing the Gemara because, I mean, then what are you really answering? What are you really answering your son? And what was the question of Kuli Hainami? So let's look at Rashi for a second. Rashi says two words Kuli Hainami, the Meshabachat Nafshachti Enach Amaretz. Really, are, are you so proud that you're not an Amaretz? Another, another, another way of reading it. Are you going to go that far? A, a boar is chayav and mitzvot. So how could you praise God that you're not a boar? At least a boar is 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 chayav and mitzvot. What are you going to What are you going to say? Because the mayor seems to have a formula of three. What are you going to say instead? Hi, um, and then the answer is The first shot Rashi says is why. 
is an, is evident Isha similar? Well, because a woman is subservient to her husband, just like a slave is subservient to his husband, to his master. Another way of explaining the Gemara, because we learn la la. And then finally, Rashi by Zildfei. Sorry, I gotta, I gotta reject that. Finally, let's see Rashi by Zildfei, and this is also similar to Rebbein Gershom. We have Afilachim Zuzal Ha'eved Yoter Mene Isha. So very odd Gemara. This Gemara here essentially brings Rav Meir and not Rabbi Huda as the as the attribution for who should say or And then we have a retort from Avacha Yaakov. And he amends it to say Some say that really what's happening here. Is that originally Rameir or Rabbi Huda said it should be Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Eved, Shlosani Isha, and he never said Shlosani Bor, and Rachab Yaakov was simply correcting the Memra. It, it's not clear. What is clear, though, is that there was an established Minhag in Bavel uh, where Rachab Yaakov lived. There was an established Minhag that a person should say, let me stop the share. There was an established Minhag that a person should say Shlosani Eved, Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Bor. And Rav Achar Be'akov felt it was appropriate that he could and should change the, the Nusach. Rav Achar Be'akov said, nope, this Minhag is no good. This Nusach is no good. Let's change it. So whether he was reverting back to an older Gersa or he was changing it, he was changing the, the, the Minhag that was dominant enough that even his own son was saying it. So there was area for flexibility here. There was a recognition also that Rameir's number of three brachot uh, were important. So the, that's the facts. That's what we have. None of the none of the conversation in the Gemara is very clear. What exactly does it mean, Kuli Hainami? Like, does perhaps some some say perhaps? Well, you can't say that God didn't make me an ignoramus. You make yourself an ignoramus. Like, you can't you can't go that far. Or like, are you really going to denigrate an ignoramus that much? And um, we just simply don't have, we don't have a full understanding of what Rav Achabayakov was doing. Okay. The next source from the ancient times is if we move over, not from the Nusach HaBavli, right? So Nusach HaBavli, we know, has Shosani Eved Goy and Isha, Shosani Goy Eved Isha. And then it began to change in the middle of the Amorotic period to Shosani Goy um, Isha Eved, right? That's what we have in the, in the period of the Bavli. Let's look at what they were doing in the areas which were under the influence of the Talmud Yerushalmi. Okay, so you know we saw that the Talmud Yerushalmi brought the Tosefta, right? The Tosefta says, Shlosani Goy, Eved and Bor. But what did they actually begin saying? So we don't know exactly what they did in the time of the, of the Gemara of Yerushalmi, but we do have manuscripts from the Cairo Geniza. And the Cairo Geniza paints a picture of the Jews who followed the Nusach Eretz Yisrael, which is fascinating. And they would say a bracha. These Jews had a fascinating um, girsah. And if you're if you're listening on Spotify, I would recommend switching to video so you could see the uh, slide that I'm showing here. The this slide here, this is uh, Taylor Schechter, the manuscript 122.103, and what they would have and we have this in many manuscripts, is a bracha which is not three different brachot. This is a bracha where the entire bracha has multiple different 
statements within it. So let's just read the manuscript in front of us. Baruch atah Hashem, Elokinu melech olam, asher barata oti adam velo behema, ish velo isha, zachar velo nekeva, Yisrael velo goy, goy mal velo arel, right? Circumcised and not uncircumcised. Choshi velo eved, a free man and and not a slave. So it appears that they did not see this requirement from Rabbi Yehuda or Rabbi Meir as being a requirement to say three separate blessings. They just packed it all in there, and any idea they had, they pushed it in. Remarkably, as you can see, they made a distinction between Ish and Isha and Zachar and Nekeva, which, what? Man, woman, male, or female? Like, what, what exactly is the difference? So you could say either... They were just embellishing and they just, you know, like the poetic burst. You could get very interesting and say that they they understood that gender is a construct and is different than sex. Like, I guess they were 21st century, very woke. You you could go that far. Um, I mean, there were people who understood the the difference between gender and sex. That that was an idea. But to (laughs) to assert that based on some of the manuscripts, I don't know. Very strange. But let me show you what work. Uh, Dahlia Marks did when she compiled and she went through, we've mentioned and appreciated her work before, <clears throat> but she went through many manuscripts in the Geniza. And here's just a couple of examples, right? On, on the right, here's three examples that she puts in her chart. We have, uh, that's the one we just saw. Um, we have one that ends with the same thing. And here we have here on the left side, one that's much shorter. That's a really, really interesting um, idea. Now, finally, when it comes to Nusach Eretz Yisrael, of course, history is complicated. And, well, not always did people just say one uh, version. Eventually, certain Nusachot were hybridized, especially in the Karaganiza. It's not, it's not a surprise where some people started hybridizing the Bavli version and the Ushami version. So here we have something interesting. Um, let's look up at these brachos here in the manuscript. So I'm going to point over here. I didn't make a red line around it, sorry. But if you look over here, we have Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shasitani Yisrael V'lo Goy That Hashem made me a Jew and not a Goy. Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam Shasitani Mal V'lo Arel Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Shasitani Ish V'lo Isha there was a dominant, there was a, sorry, a significant portion of Jews that never said the bracha of Shalosani Goy, Shalosani Evan, and Shalosani Isha as negative brachot. Whether they lived in Cairo, whether they lived uh, in, in Eretz Yisrael, whatever, the influence of the Yushalmi shows that this bracha, whether it was split up into many brachot or combined, as we just saw, was not a negative blessing, as some people call it. Rather, it was a blessing in the positive tense. God, that the God that has made me a Jew and not a goy, circumcised and not uncircumcised, man and not woman. So, does this change the offensiveness? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, you have to ask the people who are offended. But um, th- th- these are some facts that you have to know. That originally the the nusach was. Um, in the positive tense and not in the negative tense. Now, one more part about let's let me just show you one more um, note about the 
Caleb, Gary's joining us. I'm just letting him in. So just to, to catch you up, Gary, so far we've had the Nusacha Bavli, Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Evet, Shlosani Isha, all, all of those in the negative tense. Um, originally, it was Bor as well, and eventually it changed over. We had the Nusach HaYushalmi, where the Nusach HaYushalmi, as we have seen, was all in one bracha with a positive distinction. You would say they made me Jew, not Goy, uh, uh, man, not woman, um, circumcised, not uncircumcised, pure and not and not impure. And that's the Yushalmi's take on it. Now, we're, we're studying now the ancient period. So if there's one more thing we have to look at in the ancient period, that is the research that was done in the early 19th century by two people, by Yitzhak Hirsch, uh, well, sorry, by quite a few people, not just Yitzhak Hirschweiss. But Yitzhak Hirschweiss wrote a famous safer called, not, I'm sorry, a non-famous safer, because not unless you really know Jewish books would you know about the safer, called Darv Darvidor Shav. He was a German scholar, religious scholar, who decided to write a Sefer, five-volume set between the years 1871 and 1891. He wrote a five-volume set on the history of Tarr Shabal Peh. And in this history, he goes through how it was transmitted, and he does a history of all the Tanaim and Amaraim. So it, plenty of people, I'm sure, have heard of the Sefer Dora Tarishonim from, I think, uh, Rizal Khalivi. Um, he he wrote his sefer mostly in a response to Dor Dorvidor Shav. Not mostly, but uh, partially as a response, because he didn't agree with everything Rav Yisrael Kirschweiss said. Rav Yisrael Kirschweiss says that Rameir, or Rabbi Huda, was a true scholar. Why? And he he he, he thinks it's Rabbi, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was a true scholar. Why was Rameir a true scholar for saying Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Evet, Shlosani Bor? Because he got it from the Greeks. He was willing to be open to all uh, sources of information. And this idea, these three blessings are not native to Judaism. Rather, they come from Plato. Plato is reported to have said, and this is a, a, an attestation from hundreds of years later, I thank God that I was born Greek and not barbarian, free and not free, male and not female, but above all that I was born in the age of Socrates. Um, you also find the broken telephone. Some people say Socrates said this. Some people say Thales said this. Whatever, broken telephone. But regardless, some Greek philosophers said something along these lines. And Rivislik Weiss held that Rameir was borrowing from the, the Greek philosophy, and he believed these brachos were uh, a, um, a, a Jewish borrowing from the Greek. A fascinating backwards, um, uh, and it's that the irony is laugh out loud, is that the, the famous, famous uh, German philosopher, Arthur Schopenhauer, who uh, has this fabulous haircut, as you could all see, um, he was the father of so many of the greater, like the great German philosophers that everyone's heard of um, over the 19th and 20th century. Like his, his thought uh, changed philosophy forever. But Arthur Schopenhauer was a guy. He was a, he was a Gentile. And in the third version, he, um, in the third version of his book, The World is Will and Representation, which I, I forget how to pronounce in German, but it is what it is. In the third edition, right before he died, he added a section there where he was talking about how the Greeks borrowed theism from Judaism. He believed that the Greeks didn't really have theism or the belief in God uh, as a as a natural part of their own uh, belief system, but they borrowed it from Jews. And he found the, the German Sidurim from his day, which has Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Evet, Shlosani Isha. And he's like, oh, wow, that must be where the where the uh, Greeks got it from. The Greeks only got Shlosani Goy, Shlosani Evet, Shlosani Isha from the Jews, which is, I mean, I mean, historically backwards because Socrates and Plato lived hundreds of years before Meir and Rabbi Huda. 
But uh, be that as it may, we have a guy claiming that the Greeks borrowed knowledge from the Jews, and we have a Jew claiming, on the other hand, that the Jews borrowed these brachos from the Greek. Neither one of these claims is historically um, convincing. We also found in the in the 19th century, another historian found that the Iranians had a, I think, a Zoroastrian blessing, which was very similar to two, more than one scholar found this. It was very similar. And they believe that that they got it from from the Jews. Whatever it was, we see that in the ancient times, this idea uh, this classist idea where, yeah, I was born into this class and not into that class, that was a very um, popular idea. And whether it began with the Jews or it began with the Greeks, it wasn't unique to Jews. That, that, that much we can say. It isn't an idea that's unique to the Jewish people, but it is an idea that's very early and possibly started by the Jewish people. Is it important whether or not it was you know, our invention or not? I don't know. Regardless, we may or hell that we have to say these three brachas. And and we have what we have. It's 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 it's. I believe it's of of um, worthy mention. The last honorable mention is only honorable because it has to be refuted, and that is that some have claimed that Paul says in in Galatians, I don't know how to pronounce that, or Corinthians. He says, and I uh, I'll quote it here, that he says that under the kingdom of Yeshu there is neither Jew nor Greek bond nor free, and there is neither male nor female. What he's trying to say is that the distinctions of class, of gender, of um, of evident, uh, of, of servitude are all abolished under his kingdom, and there is no distinction under God. We are all the same. Beautiful idea, but the idea that the Jew, that some Jewish scholars have said is that, well, the whole bracha of Remeyer is to refute Paul. He's saying, no, 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 don't tell me that under the kingdom of God, nobody's different. Under the kingdom of God, men are men, women are women, slaves are slaves, free men are free men, etc. So the reason more serious historians don't like this is because, well, the Christians weren't a threat to the Rabbanim. You know, for, for they weren't a serious threat to the Rabbanim, especially Paul. Paul was not a serious threat to the Rabbanim. Um, they typically didn't, when, when they were most active, they didn't live in the same places. And it's it's it's, an, it's a stretch to say that Rameir was responding directly to heretics, especially in this scenario. Maybe Rabbi Gamliel, but but even much earlier. But but it's a stretch to say historically that Rameir was seriously concerned about Christian ideas, especially one idea that Paul had in in, in Corinthians. So so that's why I'm I'm bringing this out. This is another ancient source, but by far and large, it does seem that this these brachos and these ideas are primarily uh, Jewish in nature. Okay, now let's one more note about the ancient period. And that is that all the way from when Rameir said this, or Behuda, whoever it was, all the way until the 12th or 13th century, we find no discussion of these brachos whatsoever as having been said by women at all, or having been intended for women to say. The design of these brachos Seem, especially if you see Malvelo Arel, seems to be that they were designed and composed for men to say and only for men to say. And this is especially poignant because there's more than one time that when a bracha is written, the Gemara objects that it's not gender neutral, right? For example, in Birchus Hamazon, right? And on the, the, circum, the circumcision, which you circled on our flesh, the that you sealed on our flesh, the Gemara 
objects to this. It says, no, women are chayib and tefillah also. We can't write, that's not gender neutral. Both men and women have to say, and so the Gemara has to has to deal with that objection. Uh, I don't actually remember the 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 the, the answer offhand because I'm not focused on it right now. But the the point is that the Gemara here by these morning blessings does not bring that up. So clearly, the Gemara never intended these women these brachas to be said uh, by women. However, it does raise many questions about late antiquity and the early medieval period in regards to Jewish women and prayer. Social historians especially are fascinated by this idea. Like what was the literacy rate among women at the time? And if, did they pray? Did they pray at all? Like we have a thousand years of Jewish women where we just don't know. We know nothing. Like were Jewish women literate? Were they as literate as their husbands? Did they pray a lot? Did they pray a little? Did they have their own prayers? Um, like we just don't have any information. We we know that most likely they said Baruch Samazon or perhaps they said one Amida a day or something similar to an Amida, but we don't have better information than that. And, and unfortunately, the Dark Ages and late antiquity is really are really dark to us. We just don't have enough information, and you know it is what it is. But the one thing that's clear from the ancient period is that nobody ever brought up the idea or ever thought that these brachos were intended to be said by women or that there should be a version that women would have to substitute or change or that a ger, for example, would have to substitute and change because he wasn't born uh, a Jew. There's, no, there's no, no such discussion of that in the ancient uh, period. We have to move on, though, to the medieval period. And the first time these brachas really are mentioned is, is in the Paiskim, is in the, the halachic compendiums. For example, in Amram Gaon, he says, we don't say Shlossani Bor. I know there are some people who might say it, but we don't say Shlossani Bor. Or you have in the Rambam, for example. The Rambam in Hostfila holds that these brachos of Shlossani Goy Eben and Nisha are special. Why? Because all the other brachos of the Berch Sashacha, right? Uh, all of those are circumstantial brachos. When you open your eyes, you say You put on your hat, you say When you put on your belt, you say But Shlosani Ish Evad Isha, those are from a separate Gemara. They're not in brachot. And you say them no matter what, whether or not you saw a guy, saw an Evad, saw an Isha, you always say those brachos because they're a blessing, as the Abudraham quotes the Ramam as saying in one of his one of his chuvais, he says that these are blessings of Tchilat Briato Shaladam on how you were created and therefore um and therefore you say them whether you like it or not so that's actually once we're talking about that i'll throw in some theology there is there is there is the question that's asked and i haven't looked into this for a while i wish i had the time the, the question is asked how how could you thank god for for how you were uh create you can't say, for how you were created you can't say well bless a uh, blessed be god that i was not created a guy because technically what would that mean like you would be somebody else you wouldn't be i it doesn't really make so much sense. Um, so the Rakeach says it means you bless Hashem that you didn't get the, you didn't receive the soul of a guy or you didn't receive the soul of an Eved. But again, that also makes it very complicated. The Magen Avram brings from the Mekubalim. He says that at night, he says that uh, during the nighttime, a person's neshama aspect goes back to heaven. And there's is an area of heaven under the Kisei HaKavid where the neshamas are refreshed every night. And he says that there's a pargud, there's a curtain between the Jewish souls and the non-Jewish souls, and where the, the souls can come into contact one with another. And so you're thanking Hashem Kabbalistically that your soul didn't come into the con into contact with something impure, or a male didn't come into a contact with a female soul, if there is such a thing. 
Okay, whatever. Um, but the idea of Shosani Goy Shosani Evet Shosani Isha as being a bracha of Tchilat Briato Adam is theologically tricky. We don't really know what that means because once we start asking that, that didn't make me this, you wonder what that would mean because you wouldn't be me. You wouldn't be I. So the um, perhaps the positive blessing is better. Shosani Ishvlo Isha, Shosani Yisrael Belogoy, perhaps. Um but the blessing doesn't seem to add up on a deeper level, and it's definitely food for thought. So, okay, the Rambam, to, to continue, uh, let's, let's just uh, uh, move on from the tangent. The Rambam held these brachas you say no matter what. His son, Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, disagreed. His son, Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, wrote a sefer called Kitab al-Kifayat uh, al-Abidin, right? So this is the sefer Hamaspiklo of De Hashem. And... The idea of the sefer is very much like a Masil Sisharim. It's a, it's, it's really, uh, had the Ramchal known this was written, I'm not sure he would have written Masil Sisharim, which is basically the same idea. And in the back, he gets into some things about tefillah and Hilchay's tefillah and the, and the sefer Masbek. Over there, he says that I know my father said that these brachas, you have to say them no matter what. But honestly, he says from a halachic perspective, I'm not sure I agree. And second of all, I know a guy who saw an old version of the Gemara and that old version of the Gemara said in this old manuscript, and mind you, this is like the 12th century he's writing about this, which in Aramaic means when one sees a guy, he should say Shlosani Goy. When one says a woman, he should say Shlosani Isha. So he says that it's Mistaber that you should only say these things. I believe it's logical you should only say these things circumstantially. Now, anybody who's keeping a meter of offensive meter, you know, from zero to how offensive this is, this clock's really, really high on the uh, offensive meter. Because, I mean, think about that for a second. The, uh, uh, you know, you wake up in the morning and your wife says, uh, good morning, honey. And you see your wife and you're like, ah, it's going to land you in the doghouse every single day. If you walk outside and the first thing you do when you see your, your landlord is also uh, not safe for work. So um, this, this idea is fascinating and nobody poskins like it. It was actually not common knowledge until the Sefer Masbik Lode Hashem became more renowned in the past hundred years. So be that as it may, that's some uh, early medieval uh, discussion about this bracha. Let's move on a little bit. Um, the tour. Let's see the tour in Memvav. We'll see it together. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. The tour is, oof, I opened up too many things in Safari. It's a bad habit of mine. Um, great. This is the tour in Membub. Here we go. Perfect. I'm going to share my screen with everybody. Zuck the Haile Gator, Rubiako ben Ravasher, the son of the Rush. There are three more brachos a man has to say in the morning. Which is a censorship, right? Uh, they didn't make me a guy. Why? Because you have to praise God that he chose us from all the nations and he brought us close to his worship. He's just basically quoting the Gemara's idea. 
ברוך אתה שאומרים, ברוך אתה אישה שאינה חייבת במספור תעשה אישה זמן גרמה, ונהגו הנשים, this is, this is something new here, the women say, the, the custom is among women to say, לברך שעשני כרצונו. The Torah is like, what? Like, basically, the, the Torah is saying, the custom among women here, for some reason, in Spain, is to say, the God who has made me according to your will. And the Torah doesn't seem to know why. So he says, V'efshar, maybe, shenoagim ken, kemo ken, shehu kemi, shematzik alayim aladin alara. Basically, it's like, tziduk hadin, like, you know, we're thanking God for the bad things that happened to us. Like, oh, no, we were made women. Woe is our lot, but that's too bad. We got to praise God anyway. And so he says, Shasani Kurtzano. The Torah is not saying this is the fact. He's not saying that that's the reason. He's just saying, well, maybe he doesn't know why the women started saying this. But this is the first time that we see two important things. First of all, we see that women had an interest in praying like men and following the liturgy of men. And therefore, they found a need to compose their own substitution. And second of all, we see this new bracha of Shasani Kersono that we've never seen before. And this is the first, uh, the, 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 the tour was born in 1270 and he died in 1340. So again, 30, probably 13th, 14th century is the first time we're seeing Baruch Shasani Kersono, which is a fascinating thing. Now, the next time we see this idea of Shasani Kersono is, uh, well, I should say that Buderham, but he's right almost a younger contemporary of the Torah. The next time we see this is in the Ladino versions, or sorry, the Romance versions of, of these prayers. Because the Romance versions, or the, I, should, I should say really the Ladino versions say the same thing as Shasani Kirtsuno, but they say, and my, my Spanish isn't good enough, but I'll just quote it here. They say, como su voluntad, which who made me the way he wanted to make me essentially, which begs the question, was it originally said in Romance, Spanish, French, whatever? Or was it originally said in Hebrew? The Torah doesn't give us that information, but both are equally likely. Since so many women didn't actually understand Hebrew, they might have been able to read Hebrew characters, but they didn't understand Hebrew words. It's very possible that this bracha was originally said in Romance, in Arabic, in some other language. So... That's so much for Asani Kirtsono. Now, one of the mistakes that academics made for a very long time, in my opinion, it's a grave mistake, is that they thought Shasani Kirtsono deserved almost no attention. Why? Because, well, it was just made up recently and it's theologically wrong. And, you know, women are just as good as men. And there's no reason that we should, they should have to say a less, you know, an inferior bracha or a bracha that's like a tzidu kadin, so to speak or to admit that they're inferior, because they're not inferior. And so therefore, many academics dismiss this bracha as not being worthy of attention. The problem with that notion is that it's just letting the narrative take over your, you know, your opinions take over the facts. The fact is that whoever composed this bracha, like every bracha, once upon a time, it was invented. I know it wasn't said by the Gemara. The Sfaradim do not agree, do not agree that you could say it with a shemu malchut because it's not in the Gemara. But every bracha at some point in time was invented. And academically speaking, we have to ask the exact same questions. What were and what are the motivations that kept this bracha a part of our liturgy? How did this bracha end up in the Siddur and maintain a place in the Siddur? So with the bracha of Shasani Kurtzono, 
from the evidence of their time, it would seem that it wasn't a universal language. There were many different versions that women who were trying to pray would substitute. My opinion is that the answer to this question is that the motivation was mostly halachic and printing because the Shulchan Aruch paskins like the Torah, and he says it black and white, men say Shlosani Goy, women say Shlosani Kirtsono. And therefore, many of the printed Sidurim followed whatever the Shulchan Aruch said. Once it began to get printed and women became more literate, in my opinion, that's when it took a mainstream turn. But not because um, I don't believe the motivation was purely theological. I think most of the motivation for maintaining it in the Siddur was not to change the tradition because everyone felt like the tradition was what was printed in the Siddur. Even though right before the Duana printing, right before the late 1400s, saying Shasane Kersono was really actually not popular, as we're going to see right now. Let me show you other versions of substitutions that women found for Shasani Kirtsono. Let me share my screen. We have a French version from the south of France. This is Provence. Um, I think this version here is from, this was written in Shuadit. Shuadit is a French um, cognate, it's very similar to, to French or whatever. It's, it's a, Ju a Judeo-French language. And over here, it says serventa, goya, right? The feminine ideas of a servant, a goya. Finally, we have segle kes fis mi fena, which means the God who has made me a woman, right? The exact opposite. Not that shasani kirtsuno, but we see that women who spoke shuadit were fairly comfortable in just making up a bracha on their own and saying shasani ishan. Rather than saying shalosani, rather than saying shalosani ish, they would just say baruch shasani isha. Beautiful idea. Um, what's the next thing I wanted to cover just really quickly? Ah, another early substitution. I'm sorry, I don't have it on my screen is the Leket Yosher. The Leket Yosher says he heard a woman in Ashkenaz say like the Spanish woman, Shasani Kirtsono, but he says, I don't think it's right because my Rebbe the Maharil uh, from the 14th century, my Rebbe the Maharil said that his mother, um, who was a famous martyr or whatever, she used to say Shalasani Behema. <laughs> Out of the blue. Shalasani Behema, a new, a new one was invented. So that's fascinating. Um, nobody seems to agree with Maril's mother to say Shlosani Behema. Like you don't have to go that far. That you know you're a human being. You don't have to go so far to praise God that you're that you're not a Behema. So um, many haven't uh, agreed with that version. It is interesting to note, though, as I mentioned before, we saw in the we saw in the Ushami Shlosani Adam Velo Behema. Right? We did see that this version um, was in the Ushami. So it's probable that what happened here with Maril is not that his mother just invented a bracha, but it could be that his mother was Italian or influenced by the Italian rites because the Italians were the one Nusach that kept very similar versions to the Nusach HaYushalmi. There are many versions of the, the Italian rite, but many of them have Shasani Ish Velo Isha. Many of them have versions like that, Shasani Yisrael Velo Goy or Adam Velo Behema. So the Ital she might have just had her, her, her inspiration from the older Italian version, but um, there's no way to know for sure. It's interesting. Speaking of the French, if you look here, I was, I was showing the French uh, version. There was a traveler in 1599. His name was Thomas Platter. He's a Swiss Swiss traveler and writer. Um, I don't know much about him, but I, I saw this um, either yesterday or today. And he reported that when he was in Avignon, I think I have a picture here of the shul. Ah, let me let me let me uh, let me enter that in for a second. Um, Hmm, how am I going to find this fast enough to enter this into the shear? Let's do it this way. Give me one second. 
Yeah, here's the Shul in Avignon today. Wonder if I could share my screen fast enough. Let's do this. Here. Uh, sorry for anybody who's listening over the audio. But essentially, he went to the Shul in Avignon to... Um, this is this is the shul as it stands today. It was renovated a few times. But what he said was that he was there for a davening and he noticed that there's a separate women's section in the basement because they were restricted by the zoning laws over there. They weren't allowed to be bigger because of the church, yada, yada, a lot of oppression. So they had to build the women's section in the basement rather than upstairs. And he said that the women, instead of always praying with the men, they had a special minion of women. The women had their own prayers fascinating thing women conducted their own services they would conduct it in a mixture of hebrew and french or and shuadit whatever and it was led the congregation of women was read was led by a rav who was blind and maybe that was the sneeze way of doing it or whatever but an old rav who was blind he would lead the women in prayer and this is a guy saying it he has nothing to <laughs> unless he misunderstood what he saw he has nothing to lose perhaps he saw a rav giving a shear i don't know but uh, it appears that they he saw them doing services, having a women-only minion in 1599 in the south of France. Uh, historically, it's very interesting. But uh, take that for what it's worth. All right. Um, now, the next most interesting thing to see here, and this one is fun. This is the famous Siddur of Rabbi Avraham Farisol. Let me show you what we have here. Rabbi Avram Farisol was an Italian scholar, and he was a he was a Jew. He was a, a geographer, a scholar, a scribe. He had a long and storied career. He was once upon a time hired by Jewish women to write sidurim for them. He lived at the end of the 1400s. I believe his dates were like 14, er, sorry, 1451 to 1525. So. He wrote these Sidurim for rich women because he was commissioned for them uh, to write for them, uh, what's it called, their own Sidurim. And, you know, he makes it fancy. He was highly paid. and But he decides to really use his own flair and his own uh, ingenuity to just make up his own Nusach for women in the Siddur. And it's highly publicized, but there's a couple of things I want to point out which are wrong about the story. First of all, you go to Wikipedia and you look up Abraham Farisol, you get this picture. This is not Abraham Farisol. This is a painting by Bartolomeo Veneto. It's called The Man. Um, we have no idea who The Man is. Uh, some have suggested that because he's holding the stick that looks like a Torah reading thing, that maybe it was Abraham Farisol because he doesn't have a cross around his neck. Maybe it's a Jew. Maybe it's not. This is just one of the thousands of speculations for who the portrait could be. So if you see all over the internet that Abraham Farisol looked as dapper as this, this is probably not Abraham Farisol. Regardless, that's a lot of fun. Now, he wrote this, he wrote his own Nusach for this woman. You see, Shasitani Isha Velo Ish. He pulled this out of his hat. Like, did, no, nobody's had this sense of Shabracha before, but he invented one for her. He said, Shaloh Sitani Amavishivcha, right? He changes the Gersa from Shlosani Eved. And he says, Shaloh Sitani Nochrit, who did not make me a foreigner, which really is Shaloh Sitani Goya, but because of increased uh, censorship, especially in Italy, you would have to write something like Nochrit. So fascinating thing. Um, and there's also here on the right side is the slightly less fancy Sidur that he wrote, Shaloh Sitani Ishabalo Ish. Now I have, to, and there you have blotted out Shaloh uh, Sitani Goy. Um, okay, but what I have to point out about here is that Part of the fake news that you'll find on the internet that he was a you know feminist um, 
uh, what's it called? He was, I don't know, for some reason in the 15th century and he was a feminist, um, is that the Italian version was Shasitani uh, Ish Veloisha. Many Italians, and he was Italian, he was born in Mantua, but uh, but he, um, sorry, he was born in France, but he spent most of his life in Italy. Um, he, most Italians said Shasitani Ish Veloisha. So it's really logical for him to just reverse it. It wasn't like he was being feminist. He's just, adapting the bracha we say ish oh they must say isha below ish he didn't think about it any more deeply than that trust me he was just a scribe and there's no reason for to attribute to abraham fairy soul any special feminist agenda um that was just that was just a convenient thing to do because he was italian so famous it's famous it's a very beautiful manuscript and i'd recommend uh checking it out so now let's move on to the modern era the modern era is, okay, that's going a little far, but the modern era is mostly dominated by the printers, to be honest. The, let's take, for example, the Brach of Shlosani Goy. The Brach of Shlosani Goy was heavily um, censored, especially because so many printing houses were in Italy. Very many of them would have to omit it entirely, or they would have to say Shasani Yisrael, or some variation of that. Shlosani Ovid Kochavim, they'd have to make something up. Um, the Shulchan Aruch held, as I said, that Shasan, that women would have to say Baruch Shasani Kirtsono. So many of the printers who wanted to sell a lot of books simply put in Baruch Shasani Kirtsono for women. Now, another variation... <sighs> Sorry, I'm just losing um, uh, hydration. Uh, the Another variation that the printers had to contend with is that the tour says in black and white that the Ashkenazi minhag is to put the brachos at the beginning of the Berchot Shachar. The Svaradim put it at the end, and the tour says that there's really no difference. I mean, it's the same idea. And the printers, therefore, had to make two versions. One sitter where the, the, for the Ashkenazim where it's at the beginning, and another sitter for the Svaradim where it's the end. Both the Sephardi Mikubalim and the Ashkenaz Mikubalim both claim there's a special reason for where they put it there, and it's Kabbalistically important to have it either in the beginning or the end. The Arizal's version is to have it in the end, and therefore, most Sephardim keep it um, at the end. Now, what's important to note is that these brachos didn't really receive attention for most of the modern era, especially because we don't find um, many situations where people questioned it. Right, the first question may perhaps you find in the pseudo modern era is whether or not a convert is Eshelah Sani Goy. So the Ramah says, this is early modern. The Ramah says that a convert can say Shelah Sani Goy. Why? Well, sorry, he shouldn't say the word Shelah Sani Goy, but he should say Baruch Shasani Ger. Why? Even though he was created a Goy, he could still say Baruch Shasani Ger because the pasuk says Vehanefesh Asher Asu Bicharan. When Avram Avinu went to Eretz Yisrael, he took, Yaakov, Yaakov went to Eretz Yisrael, he took all the souls which he made in Haran. What does it mean that he made them? That he converted them. So you could use the same language, Baruch Shasani Ger. Other poskim disagreed. They held that a convert should not say Baruch Shasani Goy. His children can, but not the convert. And so there was this, uh, some discussion of these brachot as to their placement and as to whether or not they were or weren't offensive to Gerim especially to consider the feelings of Gerim in, in the early modern era. But when it came to women and whether or not women were offended, uh, not really, not much. Uh, you know, Jews had much better things to worry about at that time in, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, and women weren't very literate. Another problem was that um, 
uh, I'm losing my, sorry, I'm getting a little bit tired, is that we don't find any Sidurim before the 20th century that were printed exclusively for women. We just don't find a Siddur where it says, you know, Siddur Linashim. One second, let me just raise my AC because I'm faint in here. All right. So we don't find any exclusive Sidurim for women, nor do we know how many women were trying to pray the liturgy that men were praying. Okay. It's when we get to the 19th century that stuff starts bubbling up. In the 19th century, we have an explosion of literacy. We have an explosion of intellect. It's the time of the Enlightenment. It's the time of the Haskalah. And we have an explosion of new thought and many, many women who can read. Further than this is many women who believe that they have the same liturgy as men do, and they should follow the same fixed liturgy as men do, and therefore it was required for them to have an equal substitute. So in comes many women and allies of women who are men who claim that this bracha is offensive to women, and this is offensive to us, or this is offensive to women, and something has to be done. Now, this falls into a lot of argumentation, right? Some people could say, well, the brachos were never intended to be offensive. Then the other people could say, you can't tell me not to be offended. I am offended. These are my feelings. And then the other side will say, well, you can't tell everybody else that they should be offended. You know, the emotional uh, argument doesn't end. But let's narrow it down to just logic so we can avoid the emotion for a second. Let's just think about what happens. There's two camps that people fall into. One camp is the bracha is wrong. The bracha is wrong, Romero is wrong, Behuda was wrong. Scratch it. We're we're modern. We're smart. We're smarter than, than, than those old rabbis. And we got to do something about this. The other camp is, well, no, the Chachamim are true. And uh, everything they say is true. But women's feelings, everybody agrees, are important. Okay, so these are the two camps we have. Either the Chachamim are right or the Chachamim are wrong. For both camps, there's two sets of solutions. Either right? Oh, well, really, not for both camps. For one camp, at least, there's two sets of solutions. You could change it or remove it to make it, uh, you know, not offensive. You can also, because you would have to hold that as a rishos or something, you would change it or remove it to make it not offensive. Or you would have to explain it in, explain it away in a way that wasn't offensive. In other words, write apologetics to try to explain the bracha in a way that it's not offensive to women. So, as you could imagine, between the Reform and the Conservative and the, well, Conservative came later, but between the Reform and the Orthodox, things got, you know, heated pretty quickly because the Reform tried changing the liturgy to a great degree very quickly. The Orthodox were typically, the from Jews, were very, um, very much against changing the, the tefillah in any way. They wouldn't change a hair of what it said in the Siddur. There was only one Orthodox Jew of Avram Berliner, who was a philologist and a historian, um, who held that we should change it. And he had a brilliant hop. He said we should change it to Shasani Yisrael. And if you say Baruch Shasani Yisrael, then that really includes everything. It includes being a man, it includes being a free man, it includes being a male, and therefore it's not offensive to women. And he brought all sorts of proofs. He said, listen, you know, so many times it was changed for censorship reasons. A lot of people said it this way. The Grum might hold you're allowed to do it this way. Therefore, he held, as an Orthodox Jew, he held it was permitted to change the bracha. We could say one bracha will stay out of trouble, and it'll pot you from saying the other three brachos. That was his a minority opinion. Nobody accepted it. 
On the other side of the scale was Abraham Geiger, the one of the famous uh, uh, leaders of the reform movement. He held, you got to change it completely. And he invented his own bracha. He invented a bracha, right? That who created me to worship him. The later reformers changed it to the bracha of the Ushami, I think he 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 created me in his image, which is a little bit more accurate because you're following a, a, a real nusach. But these are the two extremes, like the, the you know the two ends of the poles of those who are trying to reform it. Um, but then you have everybody in between, and you have five million different opinions about exactly how to explain these how what kind of uh, apologetics you could write to explain these brachos. You have, and every sitter has their own apologetics, and I, I, I'm not sure I want to go into into the great detail of of every single um, idea, but everyone can imagine them for themselves. Some are based on marshas, some are based on this and that. There's a lot of. Irv Cook has a thing about this. The Revila Eli Monk has a thing about this. A lot of the from Jews decided that yes, this has to be explained, or it has to be explained in a way which is not offensive to women. So what they say is, okay, your assumption is that women are not are inferior, right? It's unfortunate to be a woman because we say shalos ani isha. No, women are not inferior; they just have different roles. Some explain that shasani kertsono, or the the substitute bracha, is not an invented bracha; it's a bracha with real meaning, and it means that women are superior to men. And if that's kind of an odd thing to say, because if women are superior to men, then they should be saying shalos ani isha, and we should be saying shasani kertsono. But that's if you take it this logical conclusion, right? Finally, you had like a Paisic, like the Maori R, who held uh, that recent Paisic, who held that you should say all these brachis quietly. He's a Das Yachid. Nobody agreed with him. There was a Machlokas in the Tradition magazine in 1995. This got fun. Uh, this got fun fast. There was uh, somebody who wrote in uh, a, a an, an argument that he held that you should say Shasani, he held that you should say Shlosani Goyev and Nisha quietly, not to offend women like the Maori are. And the editor of Emmanuel Feldman was so offended, he, he wrote in a rebuttal, like, no, 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 we're not going to hold like a Dasyachid. It's a slippery slope. You don't start changing the Siddur, and we can explain it properly. You know, we can explain the Bracha properly. There's no, there's no reason we should focus our efforts in finding a way to explain it properly. Now, the problem is that no matter how you explain it, you have, you have, Logically speaking, two problems. You cannot say men are men are and women are equal because if they are equal, then the brachos should be equal. You cannot say that women are better than men because then you have to reverse the brachos and you have to say affirmative action. We should say no, you know, shalosani ish, and the men should say shasani kirtsono. The only simple resolution would be to follow something like Avraham Farisol. If we really wanted to be uh, what's the word? Uh, egalitarian about it. You would have to say shasani ish v'lo isha, and the and the and the uh, women should say shasani isha v'lo ish to insinuate that there's really nothing inferior about it. But that does that only approaches the modern sensibilities. That doesn't really approach the Babylonian or original older sensibilities. I, I, I'm um. There's there's too much for me to cover right now, and we're running out of time. There's there's so much. I'm sure everybody here has their own opinion about exactly how to. Um, approach the thinking about Shalosani Isha or Shasani Kirtsono. But those are the facts. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the, the, the Sfaradim said, don't say it with Shemu Malchut because it's not an, Shasani Kirtsono is not, is not an original blessing. Um, that might lead credence to the people who, who want to say bar, without Shemu Malchut, they could say Baruch Shasani uh, Isha below Ish. Whatever your solution is that you're comfortable with, you're comfortable with. 
But I have two important points I want to leave away with because these are this is my perspective. Looking at this academically, I want to give you my perspective. Perspective number one is that for men, um, and the perspective number two for basically I one factor for men, one factor for women. For men, you have to ask yourself why you're saying this bracha, right? Um, every man who says this bracha has to ask himself why he's saying the bracha. And if it's because you believe women are completely inferior, maybe you have a reason to stop saying the bracha. If you believe that there's a reason that Chazal believe or the Torah believes women are inferior, and you can justify that in some way, and you want to be machnia and submit to the Torah and believe that women are in some way inferior because they don't have as many mitzvahs or something, you have to ask yourself these questions, this question at least. Why do you believe this? And what are your motivations for saying this bracha? It's not right to say this bracha with the intention of believing that men are truly superior to women because that's probably not a Jewish idea that men are superior to women. So you will have to think about this bracha when you say it and understand what are your motivations for saying it. You don't have to think about, uh, you know, uh, the past 2000 years of development. What's important is why are you saying it? If you're saying it for the wrong reasons, stop saying it. Remember to say this bracha for a correct reason. Do your own research and make sure that if you're saying the bracha with the facts that I've given you, make sure that you're you're saying it for a good reason. And for women, for women who are going to be uh, davening with the fixed liturgy, my question for women is, do you really believe in fixed liturgy? The liturgy that developed around the Siddur for men was constructed, not all of it, but plenty of it was constructed by and for men, by men, for men, who are required halachically to accomplish a tefillah, to, to accomplish a specific halachic prayer every single day. Women are not bound to the same degree of halachic prayer as men are. Therefore, they really don't need what would be called a liturgy in the same way men do. And an argument could be made that women relate better to prayer than they relate to liturgy. In a Jewish, in a typical Jewish scenario, many Jewish women are more are more are too busy and are also exempt from saying the three prayers every day. And if God exempted you, it's probably because, you know, that's not necessarily the thing you need to do. That's not necessarily um, the practice, which is most important for you to be praying three times a day. And therefore, you might want to ask yourself, perhaps prayer might be more important to me than liturgy. And what I mean by this is that there were Sidurim written over the past two or three hundred years. I shouldn't call them Sidurim, but there were collections of prayers that women would say that they wrote themselves, prayers written by women for women. And there are many prayers women can say and be yotzei v'chiyuvim of tefillah every day by saying those prayers. And honestly, my question for women is, if you're not comfortable with the way men pray, why pray the way men pray at all? If you are indeed so, uh, what's the word, impassioned about this idea about why uh, men are praying in a way which is offensive to you, Perhaps you should consider praying in your own way since you're not high of in this liturgy to begin with. And if you believe, well, where do I start? Where do I start? How am I, am I going to compose prayers? Am I going to pull it out of a hat? No, there are places to start. If a woman wants to pray in a way, and this is, again, just my perspective, full full, full disclosure, of course, if you learn to base Yaakov to use a sitter and that's what you're most comfortable with and liturgy talks to you and doing it in a fixed way talks to you, go ahead and do that. If, if a fixed prayer is what speaks to your neshama as a woman, 
by all means, go ahead and do it. But there are other options, especially if you're feminist and you're not comfortable with saying this. There are many other tefillos written by women for women, by men for women, uh, by the Jewish people as a collective that women can say and be yotze their, their chiyub of tefillah, which are not the fixed liturgy that men are required to say every day. And if you want a good head start for that, I'm going to, um, I'll refer you to this book by Aliza Lavi. Aliza Lavi is an Israeli professor in, uh, in she lives in Netanya in Eretz Yisrael. I think she's Morak, uh, no, she's Bukharian. And she lives in Netanya, she's a professor of something else, I think political science or whatever. But she had one day this grand inspiration to write a, a prayer book for women, which is literally not a siddur, but prayers by Jewish women for Jewish women throughout the generations. And it's really, really worth picking up a copy of this so that you can see that if you want to start the avening in a way which is by women for women, you have that option. And I'm just going to show on my screen some of these beautiful tefillahs written by Jewish women throughout the generations. Um, some of them written by Ashkenazi women in Yiddish, uh, Spanish women in Ladino, um, uh, Moroccan women in Hebrew, uh, American women in English, uh, Israeli women in Hebrew. It's incredible. And then we have some written by Rabbanim, and we have uh, some written by the Benish Chai. You'll have tefillahs um, from all over that she brings. And her idea is to really bring prayer, not liturgy, but prayer to women who are more comfortable with prayer than they are with fixed liturgy. And I'll show you an example here from uh, Google Books, just to, so you can see a sample of some of the prayers she pulls up. Here's one, for example from Rabbanit Frecha Bat Rabbi Abraham. She was a holy, holy woman who lived in Morocco. She was very learned. She was considered like a Tamidat Chacham. You know, she was a, a Tamid Chacham. And people used to go with her for blessings. And look at her prayers. Her prayers are beautiful. Like she writes absolutely beautiful tefillot. These are gorgeous poems. Really, really beautiful stuff. And these are written by Jewish women for herself, for other Jewish women. Here's another one here. Um, you're right. I, I forgot what this one is for. This is, I think, an everyday prayer. Um, and let me show you another one here that was written here. She summarizes Here's one from the Benish Chai. She summarizes one from Portugal. This is a crypto psalm, one that's written like kind of like a, a uh, like like Shirlamalot, but it's not Shirlamalot. Like uh, it's its own spin. Shirlamalot is saying, "I aladon valarim, my nevozvi." As you may Hashem session, my mar shomay sol shon nam v'lo yashen. Hashem shomri yoter me asher yad dimini yomam Hashem ashlo yakeni v'lo yerech belayli yad pileni. Shemor Hashem et chayav benafshi seti uveim akorasa kanave oyev. Just literally prayers that women were writing for themselves. Here's one beautiful one in Ladino. This is a woman in Netanya, an elderly woman in Latanya told her this poem. She's like, no, this is a, a Jewish poem that was said in Ladino that we used to say before we went to sleep. And my Spanish isn't good enough, but anybody here who reads Spanish can follow along. I'll just read the Hebrew version. Um, uh, very beautiful, gorgeous tefillot. She has here in this book prayers for every occasion. I would honestly recommend any woman who feels that the Siddur isn't the right medium of prayer for her to take Siddurim such as this one and start there. 
if honestly um the if honestly the tefillah of shlosani goy uh makes you uncomfortable or you feel like um this is androcentric and this is a man's sitter you're right it is a man's sitter it was written by men for men and i i understand that many base yakovs teach tefillah out of a kisser shalonarach they teach it out of, an, out of a mishnah brura to women but that's not necessarily how you have to pray uh if you're getting very strictly halachic about it perhaps you might have to say one one esrei a day you could talk to your local orthodox rabbi but if you need prayers that speak to you and these prayers do not there are places to look so so that's that that's my my own opinion uh at the end everyone can have their own opinion but that's where i'll leave everybody tonight um bezrat hashem next week we will continue with a much more complicated and thank you everybody for your time, attention, endurance. I hope, um, I hope I didn't uh, did offend anybody. And Bezat Hashem, we will continue uh, next week, God willing. So let me pause here for questions. One more thing, Aliza Levy points out is that she says that the prayers as we know them, um, the Gemara in Bracha is clearly states Shmaynesrei is modeled on the prayers of Chana. And it was a Jewish woman who began to, it was a Jewish woman who began the prayers of the Jewish people. And there is an exceptional power in the prayer of Jewish women. And Jewish women do have a, a, a real skill and real, um, a real place. Women have a real place in writing tefillah for, for the Jewish people. And I think she's right about that. I think she's right that women have a real place in, in writing prayer, especially for the Jewish people. And that uh, Chana is is is, a, is an excellent proof for that. If the Chachamim are learning out tefillah from Chana, then th that's an excellent uh, proof. One more thing I'll say on the recording is that uh, one of the many apologetics I saw, and I just mentioned this to Mami, um, is that um, uh, that the that Shasani Kirtsono means that a, that Hashem made uh, women in uh, His will because man He asked the angels, but when it came to women, He just made made women without asking man, and therefore Chesani Kirsano, who has made women according to his will. There's many other there's many other theories of how to say Chesani Kirsano, but uh with that I think we'll end the recording.